God, in Jesus' name, we thank you for uh, just your joy, who you are and what you're doing for your word, your word which unifies us all, everyone in this room, different experiences, different walks, different ages, different sizes, different, different classes. Lord, we're all just different. And yet your word puts us all on equal field, all of us. We all come to your word like sheep to water to green pastures. And so in Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord, that we get to study your word today, that all of us get to look at the same book. You said of your word that it's powerful, it's living, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, that it actually does what we cannot do. It inspires, it renews, it restores. And so in Jesus' name, as we read your word now, we, Lord, surrender to you. We submit to the preaching of your word, to the study of your word. And we say, Lord, search our hearts. See if there be any wicked way in us. And then lead us in the way everlasting. And just to let you off the hook here, eyes closed still, that there is wickedness in your heart. They're still there. It's, that's it's part of maturation. And so as the Lord ministers to us today, may we respond and go in the way of everlasting. May we walk closer to you and nearer to you. So Jesus, have your way. We surrender to you. Bless this time. I surrender myself to you. I ask that you would use me. Thank you for the grace that flows, Lord, in this church, one to another. It's all by you, all for you, all to you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Oh my, let's read verse eight. No, no, start in verse seven. John concludes his introduction before he begins his introduction. Sounds like a pastor I know. Verse seven, behold, he is coming with clouds and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the almighty. I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. And I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. And then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet, and girded about the chest with a golden band. And his head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes like a flame of fire, his feet like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters." He had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not fear. Throughout the scriptures, this is the most repeated command that there is. Lots of commands in the Bibles, lots of to-dos, lots of to-don'ts. The most repeated to-do is to not fear. Do not fear. And it's always 
followed up by a statement of why we shouldn't fear. It's the same here. Let's read it together. Verse 17 leads to verse, wait, yeah, verse 17. Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, amen. And I have the keys of Hades and death. Stop right there, eyes up here. Jesus looks at John. He's in his glory. His eyes and his head and his whole body are in the resurrected form, and John falls down dead. He was afraid. Now, he hadn't seen Jesus like this ever, and he hadn't seen Jesus in around 65 years since he ascended, and he'd been walking faithful writing the gospel, good job. Writing first John, second John, third John, good job. And now on the island of Patmos, when he's kind of just waiting for his life to end, he'd been boiled alive in oil and didn't die. And he's like, you know, kind of just waiting, singing the Andy Mayberry song. That wasn't the Andy Mayberry song, but he's singing something. And on the Lord's day, he decides to worship. He's like, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna worship the Lord. Oh, why, John? Is your life going great? No, that's not why I worship. God is great all the time. And all the time, God is great. And so I'm going to worship the Lord on the Lord's day. And the Lord shows up and reveals himself and continues on and gives him instruction in verse 19 and 20. Write the things which you've seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. The divine outline of the book of Revelation. John, jot down quickly the things that you've already seen. Now, what would that conjure up in John's mind? The things he's already seen. Well, the resurrected Lord. Jesus Christ, the things that he was seeing right then and there. So he jots that stuff down. Chapter one is primarily the things that he'd already seen. All Jesus Christ is what we've been studying for five weeks in a row now. And we'll conclude today the things he had seen. And then he says, now write down the things that are currently right now, which is the seven churches. And when those seven churches did what they do, they planted other churches and they planted other churches. And they birthed young men and women who would plant other churches. And ultimately, eventually, that began this church, South Beach Church, right now. We're part of the same churches. And the letter that he writes to them in chapters 2 and 3 is for us. And then he says also in verse 19, write down the things that will take place after this. The Greek word there is metatauta, after this. The next time we see that phrase will be in verse 1 of chapter 4, where John says, after. After this, the church, after these things, after this, I was translated into heaven. It's a picture of the rapture. I was brought to the throne room of God. The church was no more. The church was raptured. We'll talk about that when we get to chapter four in the next couple years as we get there. Verse 20, the mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand. Well, those and the seven golden lampstands, well, the seven stars, those are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands, which you saw, those are the seven churches. Stop right there. Eyes up here. Verse seven, behold, he is coming in the clouds and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him and they will weep and mourn. This is the message that John starts with. Guys, Jesus is coming. And then at the end of Revelation, he says, guys, Jesus is coming. And when Jesus was on the earth, he talked about his second return as well, because guess what? Jesus is coming. And when I taught this last week at Crossroads, it was so fun. It was fun because I knew I just had three services, and no matter what I said, I, had, I could go and not ever come back. It's okay. <laughs> Whether they liked me or not. And, and I taught this message. And after one of the services, I was walking through a hallway, and it's a really big church. It's a, it's a mega church. And I was walking through, and this woman saw me. She just went to the 8 a.m. service. She said, hey, stop, you, you're the one. You know, I was like, ah, you know. She said, you, you taught on Jesus in his return. He's coming back. She said, I love this church. It's my favorite church. I go to church here. 
but, but, but we don't, they don't talk about the return of Jesus very much. It doesn't, doesn't come up in Christian talk as much as it used to. The return of Jesus, the rapture of the church, it's just not talked about as much. And I would agree with her, her, her conclusion. She says, well, so I've been praying that somebody would just say, Jesus is coming. Have that on the forefront of your mind. He's coming. He's returning. And you answered my prayers. I was like, ah, you know, and excited. I thought I was in trouble at first. So I was just really excited, you know. Here's, here's why it's important, friends. Because when you leave with the idea that Jesus is returning, when you, when you understand that, when you live that way, knowing that his return is imminent, it changes the way you live. You redeem the time better when you know it's short. And in verse three, he said, things are short. Things are gonna happen quickly and it makes your life count. Don't raise your hand too high, but have you ever lived a year or two wasting your life? Oh, no. How about a decade or four? Whoops. And when you know he's coming back though, that means you can redeem every single day for eternal purpose, eternal rewards, eternal value. Okay, immediate fruit every single day. But when you forget, when you get it twisted, because we get distracted so easily, we forget. But when you know time is short, you do things differently. One time my family and I were at Disneyland. I think I was about eight or nine. I can't really remember how old I was. But we were at the park there and it rained. And so everyone left and we kind of toughed it out and it stopped raining there in Anaheim. And we were the only ones there. And the park was open for about another hour, maybe 45 minutes. No one was there. So we went to our favorite ride, Pirates of the Caribbean, and we got in line. Guess what? No line. It was just the four of us. And so we got on the ride. And we said, can we just run and get this ride done as many times as we can before closing? And the guy said, as many times as you can. Man, we rode that thing 10, 15, 20 times in a row. No lines at Disneyland. It was a miracle. Because <laughs> we knew time was short. Now, what if we would have just wondered? Well, I'm not sure if I really want to run. <laughs> I'm not sure if I really want to get in line and do it again and again. Maybe we should just think about it and wonder. And then uh, uh, 20 minutes goes by, a half hour, and pretty soon the park is closed. It's too late. Did you know there will be, for each and every one of us, specifically and individually, a time where it's too late? It's just too late. Okay, 10 out of 10 people die. You can Google it later. We're all going to die. And it's going to be too late. And yet if you have the urgency, the healthy urgency that my pulse means I've got a purpose. And you're just like me, you're weak, you're sinful, you're lazy, you're easily confused, you're distracted. And so we need to be reminded, behold guys, he's coming quickly. Here's John, he's almost 100 years old. He's the pastor, he's writing a letter to his church. How should I open it up? I don't know, hey, he's coming quick, ah! You know, don't lose focus. Here's John himself on the island. I wonder if he lost focus, he wasn't perfect. I wonder if he was getting distracted and Jesus says, John, I got you. Maybe he was depressed on that day that he went to church by himself and began to pray like, Lord, would you just answer my prayer? Take my life now. You know, maybe that was his prayer and the Lord had more for him. I just want to exhort you and encourage me. Life is so precious and it goes by so quickly. I've got an 11-year-old and I've got an almost 10-year-old Nemo and my daughter just turned eight and, and I'm so thankful for every older person that has ever looked me right in the eyes. And it's scared me by saying it goes by so quickly. I've had people say that to me ever since I've had little babies. It goes by so quickly. And when they say that, I stop. I'm like, thank you. Thank you for that reminder. Because I am praying every day that it goes by quicker. <laughs> Lord, please hasten the day, you know. Am I right or am I right? You've been... And I have to stop and say, ah, oh, this is, it's going too quick. There's, there's so much 
joy, to be redeemed. You're Christians here. You guys are the most valuable, the most profitable, the most full people in the entire world. And yet how many of you don't live that way? You need to be reminded. He's coming quickly. This all counts. This all matters. This is so important. The people you work with, the people you know, the people you love. You're here breathing with the pulse on purpose, but you need to be edified and exhorted. This happens, by the way, every single Sunday, I hope, where you go to church, okay? Hopefully you go somewhere where you're getting fired up every single Sunday. This happened on the Lord's Day. And this is where John begins to say, guys, he's coming quickly. Don't get it twisted. Now, let me just read to you out of Matthew 24. I'm gonna read it quickly. Jesus described this same scene as we saw in verse seven. Jesus said, this is Matthew 24, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the son of man will appear in heaven and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. You see, Jesus, while he lived before he died, talked about his return. And now 65 years later, John writes his very last letter at the back of the book, the end cap, if you would, about the return of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that as the days get closer and nearer to edify and remind each other in these things, to encourage one another. This is what it's all about. Living a life, and I talked to you guys about this two weeks ago, living a life as if he could return today. And even if he doesn't return today, then the life you lived that day was fruitful and put eternal dividends in heaven for you and you were ready in case it was indeed that day. I've been a Christian long enough where I've been to churches where they really ramp up this idea of the return of Jesus and they'll read the USA Today in one hand and the book of Ezekiel in the other hand and you, whoa, you know, get you all fired up. And, and I've seen prophecies happen and I've lived with that kind of fearful mindset of the Lord's return. And I hope I'm kind of in the middle now where the Lord could return. I look at the signs. Have you looked around and seen the things that are going on? It's getting crazier and nuttier. Prophecies are being fulfilled. Things are happening right now. The stage is set. You don't even have to go looking for it. You can just believe that the Lord knows what he's doing and he's ordering these events. Look at verse eight. I want you to see the contrast of verse eight and nine. Jesus agrees and he says, I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord who is and who was and who is to come almighty. Verse nine, I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patience of Jesus Christ, and he describes where he was and what he was doing. Stop right there, eyes up here. I love this contrast because it shows who Jesus is. He's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He's the one. It's all about Jesus. It's the revelation of Jesus to his servants, primarily John and the church and you and I. But it's about Jesus, and when we rightly see Jesus, then we can rightly be the servants he's called us to. You see, being called a servant isn't necessarily something you're going to easily accept until you see the Son of God in his glory. Until you understand who he is, you won't truly understand who you are. And so Jesus reveals himself as the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the one who is, was, and is to come, the almighty. Now, as we consider that and focus on that and understand this, let me just give you a few thoughts tonight, write down in your journals. Remember, the person with the most notes taken after chapter three gets a free iPad. I'm not messing with you guys. I'm serious. I want to see some note-taking going on here. So here's the deal. Jesus says he's the alpha and the omega. Number one, he's preeminent. Okay, that means the most important. 
He's everything. He's beginning and end. And when you understand that about Jesus, you'll rightly put yourself in that position. He's the most important person, just the way it is. You might have questions still, and so do I, but you can understand your role because you know he's his role. Not only is he preeminent, the most important, he's all-sufficient. The alpha and the omega, those are the Greek alphabet letters at the beginning and the end. For us, it would be like the A to the Z. I'm the A to the Z. It sounds like a rapper. You know what I'm saying? I'm the A to the Z, you know, what up? He's the alpha and the omega. But if you think about the A to the Z in our alphabet, did you know that all of the mysteries of the entire world can be explained with the 26 letters within our alphabet. Every single thing can be explained with just 26 letters. It's everything. It's all sufficient. Remember, some of you are old enough to remember when you had encyclopedias at your house. Anybody had the whole set, A to Z? Man, when you were a kid, you just looked at me like, that's a lot of words, you know? And you would grab like the T and just like read through it. And, you know, the, the X was small. Like, There's hardly nothing about X's, and, you know? And the whole thing. And Jesus says, I am the A to the Z. I'm everything. You're, what are you looking for right now? What's your question? What's, what's plaguing you right now? Jesus says of himself, I am preeminent and I'm sufficient. And not as he both of those and more, he's also all powerful. It says that he was and is and is to come the almighty. Now, if you get this, your troubles, your trials, your situation, the things you're fighting right now, they might not disappear, but you know who your God is and you're able to go to battle and walk into war knowing that you serve a God who's right there with you who has conquered everything. He's sufficient. John was ready to die. He's ready to stand for the gospel. How did he get that courage? Because he knew who Jesus was. On the occasion, I prepare for my life, my roles as a husband and as a father and as a pastor and as a friend. I prepare for those roles based on my own resources, how good I'm doing and what I have stored up and how strong I am and what I know, okay? But if I go to those roles as a husband and as a father and as a pastor and I know who Jesus is and what he's done, I can stand and not be afraid of anything. I can be calm, I can be collected, because I know God is preeminent, that he's powerful, that he's everything, that he's sufficient. You must know who Jesus is before you can even begin to explore who you are. Notice what John says of himself. He says, I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patience of Jesus Christ was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God. Stop right there as up here. John sees himself as a brother and a companion. And let me just go ahead and make sure we all see ourselves in similar fashion. I mentioned that John was equal to Billy Graham and the Pope times a million. He was the most spiritual person alive at that time. And when he writes to the churches, he's like, I'm just your brother. I really am just your brother. He's, see, I think the church makes mistakes when we elevate pastors and people to roles that are not necessarily where they deserve to be elevated to. I gave a ride to a friend of mine from the doctor this week. And as I walked in, I said, hey, I'm here to pick up uh, so-and-so from the doctor. And I said, oh, I'll, I'll be right back. I'll go get him, Luke. And I didn't really recognize the, the person. She said, she knew me. And when she came out, she goes, I got to apologize. I should have said, Pastor Luke. You know, I should have called you Pastor Luke. And I was like, no, no. I was so glad you called me Luke. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just a bro. I'm a companion. I'm a brother and a companion. Because when I look at Jesus, okay, I, I stop vying for position for myself. I stop worrying about what people think of me when I see Jesus. I don't get it as twisted. I don't demand that respect, and I, I don't mind when I'm overlooked when I really see Jesus. Now, if I'm not seeing Jesus, well, then, yeah, for sure, you better call me something better than I am. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? 
You get your eyes off Jesus and it gets weird. John, we're learning from him. He's like, guys, I'm just your brother and your companion. He tells us three things though that he's their brother and companion in. First thing is tribulation. Second thing is the kingdom. Third thing is the patience of Jesus Christ. And let me just tell you as brothers, sisters, companions, your life, if it hasn't already been, but is to be marked by tribulation. Yeah, that's not fun preaching. Jesus said it, Paul said it. The very first series of churches that Paul planted on his first missionary journey at the end of his tour of planting churches there in Asia Minor, you know what they did to him at the last rally he had? They killed him. And they drug him out dead. And they prayed for him and he came back to life. And then they went back through the churches that he just previously planted. And his message was to them, through much trial and tribulation, we shall enter into the kingdom of God. As he had his neck brace on, you know, he's walking. He just got beat up. I'm just telling you guys something. We're in America, and sometimes we just get addicted to the comfort and the cush, okay, the easy living, and we don't realize, you know what? There's suffering going on all over the world. That's why Missions Night was so powerful for me, just to hear, not to forget what's going on, to be with people in their suffering. Your suffering is your suffering. Don't deny your suffering. Don't minimize other people's suffering. Don't, don't be afraid of it. He said, I am your brother and companion in the tribulation. Now, here's the crazy part. Tribulation actually produces in us patience and patience character and character hope and hope doesn't disappoint that's romans chapter five tribulation actually does stuff for you it does stuff in you there's nothing valuable that you own in your life that wasn't forged somewhere at a factory or a plant they made something these steel beams that hold this building up were forged through fire in order to be the strength that they are. The tribulation you're going through and have gone through, man, if you're like me, it's like a beasting, like, ah, ah, get out, you know, and you freak out, ah. You don't like it. Put ice on it, put a bandit on it, run away. You know, just, and I, I resist tribulation. Maybe you're like me. Guess what? You can't escape it. But God has preordained that the trials you're going through right now will produce in you greater glory he's not just their companion in tribulation but also the kingdom this is important for you who are servants here today trying to figure out life and what it's all about did you know when you get in your car you're actually not going to drive all the way today to heaven you guys are going to your house (laughs) you're not going to heaven Some, some of you might be but i hope not but you're not going to heaven you're actually you're part of two kingdoms you're here on earth waiting to go to your eternal kingdom and the place you live the place where you work those are all temporary And he wants us to be reminded, your little life, your short life, you are a king's kid, kingdom-minded. Don't forget, right now in your tribulation, your trial, this will ground you and found you in order that you don't get it twisted. And then he summarizes not only the kingdom and not only the tribulation, but also the patience of Jesus Christ. How many of you guys are super patient? Okay, raise your hand. Okay. Not even one person. Well, no, no, no. It's like a fruit of the spirit, guys. We got to be a little patient, you know, long suffering. We're not patient though. We've been, we've been duped. We can have it our way and you can upgrade. You can get it right now. You can finance. You can go right now. Patience is a virtue. And if you're a Christian, it's not even a virtue. It's a necessity. Some of you who are older, you get this. You figured it out. You just got to be patient. You people who are younger, you don't even know how to spell the word. You know what I'm saying? Like patient. See, God does things his way. I love, I love trusting the Lord as I get older. He's just, he's, his timing is not mine. He's, he's slower. Here's the cool thing. 
Here's because I don't like it. I don't like that at all. God's okay with it. God is absolutely okay with the long approach to maturity. This sets me free from my own burdens and anxieties. It also sets me at a more gracious platform to the people around me. I can see you in your wonkiness and your stumblings and just be patient. You'll figure it out. God's gonna grow you. He's gonna do this. And if you believe this, you see Jesus as he is and you see yourself. My life should be marked by tribulation. Jesus said it, Paul said it, John said it. My life actually shows it. There's tribulation here, but I'm part of a kingdom that is coming and I need to be patient. John goes on to say something unique. I want to teach it two different ways in verse nine. He says, I was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, when I read that the first way, it tells me that John was on the island of Patmos for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. In other words, he got sent there, banished, arrested because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Is that how you read it? That's the way I read it. He's there, he's in jail, if you would. The, 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 um, what's the island that you put jail people on in San Francisco? Alcatraz. He's on the Alcatraz of their day because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now just stop right there and eyes up here and think this through. If that's what he's saying, He's saying that because he's a Christian, he, he, he bore a cost. He suffered unilaterally around him, the people around him, not just an emotional suffering or a, a spiritual suffering. Have you, have you experienced this as a Christian? No, you don't raise your hands, but in social circles or maybe with family or maybe relationship, maybe you were dating somebody and then all of a sudden you got saved and the person you were dating doesn't like Jesus and so they broke up with you and Jesus, you know, or something like that. You, you, you get treated differently. John says, I'm there suffering because I'm a Christian. Now, again, if you're not careful as a Christian today, you don't want to suffer. And so in order to avoid suffering, you're going to take your Christian flag and you're going to lower it a little bit, maybe, maybe half staff, maybe even super low. You might not even have your Christianity on your flag pole because you don't want people to know. I just want you guys to be encouraged today. If you're a Christian, you too will suffer some sort of cost. This last week, my wife and I were in Ashland and we went to this nice dinner or this nice restaurant for a nice dinner. And, and, and after dinner was done, we were paying the bill and I had my sunglasses. We rode our bikes to this restaurant and I had my sunglasses kind of next to the credit card bill and, and the guy pulled it back and the sunglasses fell and he looked at him and on the side of my sunglasses, it says, Jesus is real. And so when he read that, he's like, he, he read it. I was like, Jesus is real. <laughs> and he walked off. And so when I went to sign the tip, So let me give you, I said, let me give you a tip. Jesus is real. Hell is hot. Pick a team. No, I'm just kidding. I thought about it later though. So here's, so, so as he left, my wife looked at me and said, now you got a tip. I didn't say any of that. That was all fake. That was late. That was me later that night trying to sleep in this like cottage we were in. I was like, oh, I should have said that. But he read that and he wasn't impressed at all. And so what did I do? I wrote on the bill, Jesus is real, and I gave him a, a very generous tip, very generous, more than he deserved for the service that he'd given. And, but I wanted, I said, we're the aroma of Christ to this guy. And, 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 but I didn't like getting laughed at. I don't like that at all. I just want you guys to realize, John suffered for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. If you're Christians here, don't be belligerent, okay? Don't pick fights with people. Don't be antagonistic and evil and mean, but also don't be afraid to declare the truth in love, okay? Even if you get laughed at, even if you get overlooked, 
even if you get fired, even if you get maligned or attacked. Don't react the same way they would, okay? Okay, tip generously, okay? But, but I, I wrote, what should I, write, what should I write on here? Well, I'm gonna write Jesus is real because he needs to see it again, obviously. But I also want him to have a, a nice, generous tip to mess with his mind. <laughs> now, let me just contrast this too because being a Christian is one of the greatest things you could ever do. It's amazing. The next day, we, my wife and I got in our car. Our car? Yeah, we'd have a car. We drove to Galice, which is outside of Grants Pass. And we went deep into the woods to the Galice River Resort. And we rented two little kayaks and just floated the river crystal and I. As we were walking into the Galice Resort, this happened on Friday or Saturday, I can't remember, and I had on my sunglasses, same ones. And I was walking in, the boat boys were all there getting stuff set up, and this one guy stopped me and said, hey, hey, you. you, you look familiar. And so I took my glasses off. He's like, are you a pastor? And I said, I said, I am a pastor. He said, are you a pastor at South Beach? And he got real excited. I said, yeah, I'm the pastor at South Beach. And he ran at me. And I was ready to go. I was like, oh, here we go, you know. And he gave me the biggest hug and picked me up off the ground. He's a young man, 19-year-old young man. And he said, you changed my life. He said, I used to go to Job Corps right down the street there. And the bus of God, Larry, would pick me up two summers ago and would bring us to the bus to the church, man. I, it changed. Wow, I'm so glad you're here today. And he was so excited. I just want you guys, you who are Christians, okay? There's gonna be a cost. People are gonna reject you and your family. People don't love you. They're gonna make fun of you. It's gonna happen. Don't be a jerk. Don't be antagonistic. But also the Lord's gonna use you. The Lord's gonna use you in powerful ways. John said, here's the second thing. We're not, we might not finish chapter one again today. <laughs> Darn it. Here's the second thing I want you to see in verse 10 though. He said, I was on the island of Patmos for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. That could have been past. I did some things, I suffered. That's why, that's why I'm here. It could have also been this though. What if John in retrospect said, man, you guys know what? I got sent to the island of Patmos. Why would that happen to me? I'm John. Why did this happen to me? Here's why it happened to me. Here's why I went through that trial, that tribulation. It was for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Listen, listen, that I would receive in that tribulation, in that time on the island, the only way John could get the revelation from Jesus Christ was in a trial and in a tribulation, was in a testing. I went to the island. Why'd you go there, John? That's so horrible. It's so bad. No, no, let me tell you what happened. It was nuts. God downloaded to me the revelation of Jesus, the end of the world. I, I wouldn't have had enough attention. I wouldn't have had enough time unless I were in a tribulation. And there are some seasoned saints here who would volunteer and say, you know what? I learned some things on the backside of the desert that I would have never learned anywhere else had it not been through the difficulties I walked through. I learned things through the fire. I saw Jesus in ways I would never have experienced him had it not been for that loss, had it not been for that trial. And I'm telling you right now, you have trial and loss in your future, it's guaranteed, it's gonna happen. And you, like me, are gonna treat it like a beasting. Ah, I don't want this. And God says to you today, hey, I'm gonna give you revelation in your own Patmos, in your own trial, you might suffer and deal with stuff, but even while you're suffering and dealing with stuff, I'm gonna give you revelation. Look at verse 10. He tells us, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. And I'll stop right there, eyes up here. How many of you guys think a voice behind you as of a trumpet would be loud or quiet? What do you guys think, quiet? You guys ever heard of a quiet trumpet? Like, doot, doot, doot. you know, it's a, a trumpet is like, ah! like it's a, a trumpet. Man, a trumpet in the biblical days was for arms and for war, for worship and to get your attention. When the trumpet sounds, it's like, and he says, the voice behind me, dude, it got my attention. There was purpose to it. There was a reason. 
I'm sure it was melodic. It was probably beautiful. It was like music to my ears, just like God's word to you and to me who are saints, who are servants, who are suffering. And on the Lord's day, you hear God's word. You're like, oh, it was so clear. It was so direct. It was so good. It was like a trumpet. Now, what John describes is the voice of a trumpet, the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars, Jesus with white hair and a white head and fiery eyes and a sword mouth with the gold sash and the long robe with the gold feet. He explains all that to us. I'm not sure. I read a bunch of different commentaries and some say this isn't what he actually saw. He's just trying to describe in language what he saw so we might understand it. Because what he saw was so glorious that he couldn't come up with any other descriptions besides the ones that were given. Now, I'm not sure if I believe that. I believe that throughout the rest of Revelation as he describes some of the, the kind of apocalyptic things that he saw with scorpions and all kinds of craziness as he's describing the end of the world. And he might not know how to describe what he saw. Some of it might've been symbolism. You guys are gonna have to be the judge how we read this as, as he describes Jesus with white hair and a white head and, and, and a golden sash. Here's another thing I would say to you. As we go through this description of Jesus and the rest of the book of Revelation, I'm gonna make references to the Old Testament as if you know the Old Testament well. Some of you don't. You're new Christians or illiterate biblical Christians. You haven't read the Old Testament. I get that. That's why we give copies of the Bible away. But in those days, there were no illiterate biblical Christians, okay? All the Christians knew the Bible. And the Bible they had was the Old Testament. And so any descriptions that are given are to correlate and to make sense when applied to and looked through the blends of the Old Testament. You use the Bible to interpret the Bible. So as we continue to study the book of Revelation, that would make sense to them. Oh, his eyes are like fire. That's right, because the Bible says that what we do in our lives will be burned up with fire. God's gonna view all of our works and the wood, hay, and stubble will be like a bonfire, but the precious things will remain. All of these things will and should make sense what John saw. But the first thing, and maybe the last thing, dang it, that I want to talk about today is verse 10. He says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. This was, of course, Sunday, and that's the day that the church in those days met on Sundays. Now, how did John know it was a Sunday, being there on a barren island by himself? Did he have an eye calendar, you know, on his phone? Did he know it was going? I honestly don't know how he knew it was Sunday. I honestly don't know if it was Sunday. He said it was the Lord's Day. And let me just make sure you understand this. The church worships on Sundays, okay, primarily, not legalistically, but primarily because Jesus rose from the dead on a Sunday. And the next time Jesus gathered with the early church was the next Sunday, and they continued to gather on Sundays, celebrating the first day of the week. The Sabbath day, Judaically, and still today, is Saturday. That's the Sabbath day. The Sunday, the Lord's day, is the day we see throughout the scriptures, the day that worship happens. Now, can you worship the Lord on Saturday, the Sabbath day? Can you worship the Lord on Wednesday? What about Tuesday? You know. You sure? What day are we not allowed to worship the Lord? There's no day. We can worship the Lord whenever we want. Okay, I'm just letting you guys know this. There's not a problem with me. What day you choose to worship the Lord on, just make sure you're worshiping the Lord. It doesn't matter. There are people who get uptight at statements like that and think that it is better to worship the Lord on certain days. And some even go so far as to say it's evil to worship the Lord on other days. I don't go down those rabbit trails. It's not a battle I want to pick. Here, though, he's worshiping Jesus on the Lord's day. Look at verse 10. 
It says, I heard behind me a loud voices of a trumpet. Let me just talk about church real quick. This is our 9 a.m. service, and it's packed. There's like three or four chairs that are available. The kids' rooms are packed. You're all here preaching to the choir. Thank you for being here. Most churches go through a slump, a lull in their summertime where attendance goes down. People travel. It's just kind of the way it is. And I have never even seen that happen at South Beach Church. People continue to go to church. And I want to applaud you in that. Okay, yeah, you can clap for that. It's good. Amen. Amen. Absolutely. And I just want to encourage you, though, in the last days, the book of Hebrews says, don't go less, go more. Okay? The book of Hebrews says, don't forsake the gathering of the assembly. Right now, there are people watching online, various locations, even locally, and I'm glad they're doing that for various reasons. But coming to church is an absolutely different experience when you're here live and in the flesh or wherever you choose to go. And I just want to encourage you, there's going to be a pull in your life to not go. Various seasons will come up in your life, and you'll find yourself tempted to skip church to not be a part of church. Let me talk positively for a minute. If anybody were to miss church or to skip church or to be bitter about church, it could be John. It's the Lord's day. Well, look what the Lord's done for me. There's no one here to teach me. The Sunday school program here on the island of Patmos is horrible. You guys think you have bathroom issues at South Beach Church? You ain't seen nothing. No one here to greet me. The coffee's weak. All these, all these reasons why you could have skipped church. He didn't skip church. He showed up and he received from the Lord. Write this down. I want you guys to please do this with me. And again, you're here, so I appreciate that. Here's the three ways you need to go to church from now on for the rest of your life. Number one, go consistently. Just do it. Make it who you are. Moms, dads, this is super important as your kids get older and things get busy. Make a, make a decision. Oh, we just go to church. We, we don't wonder. We go to church. Okay, unless we get the bubonic plague, we're going to church. And as with anything you do consistently, you'll see fruit eventually. So not only go consistently, second thing I want you to write down is go expectantly. This is exciting. This is how I come to church. When you go to church, go to church expecting God to give you a word, to meet you, to use you, to bless you. Go expectantly. Go excitedly. This is why we ask you to journal. The only reason you would ever have a journal is because God might drop something on you worth writing down. You go expectantly. And I believe you, I believe that he will meet you there. Here's the third way that your church experience will be dynamic. This is where the rubber meets the road, by the way. Go obediently. Not just consistently and not just expectantly, but obediently. No, this is crazy. In other words, when you go to church and hear something from a brother or sister, or receive something, or the Lord just sounds to you like a trumpet behind you, do what he says to do. That's why we ask the Lord to search our hearts. We don't just come here to get our ears tickled. I tell people, find a church that you get fed at. You get the word of God and you're fed. But not just fed, but you're challenged. Where every single day you go home going, man, I got some stuff to work on. Excitedly, I got some stuff to do. Some things were revealed today. That's exciting. And if you come consistently, and if you come expectantly, and if you come obediently, your church experience will be just like John's on the Lord's day. There was in the spirit. What does it mean to be in the spirit? It doesn't say what it means to be in the spirit. He could have been reading some scriptures that he had. Don't know. He could have been meditating. We don't know. He could have been praying. We don't know. He could have been worshiping and singing. We don't know. All of those things put me in the spirit. You guys know what it means to be in the spirit, to be, be uh, denying your flesh and linked to the Lord. And right then and there, at that time, the Lord spoke to him like a trumpet, like music to his ears. Look at verse 11. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. What you see, write in a book, send it to the seven churches, which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Did you guys know that the basics of journal writing 
and being a Christian are right here. Write down what you see, write down what you hear, and give it away. I'm gonna give you guys a secret recipe to effective Christianity, okay? It is receiving from the Lord on Sundays like this or on Mondays tomorrow when you're reading or on Tuesdays or all the way through the week, receiving from the Lord, listen, in order to give it away to somebody else. Primarily your spouse and your kids, the people you're right around. If you're here today just to pack away information and not to give it away, to take, 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 and not give, 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 take, 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 not give, 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 you're gonna get constipated. That's gross, you know what I'm saying? But it said, you take, and here's the deal. This is so cool. There are three A's you can consider. Attributes, actions, and aroma. And as God blesses you at church or in your devotions, why is he doing that? Because you will be the only living epistle that somebody sees this week. People aren't going to church today. Do you know that? There are thousands. They say in Lincoln County, there are 30,000 people every Sunday not going to church. Lincoln County alone. 30,000 people. Now you're here. Good job. And as you leave here, what'd you learn? I learned so much stuff. It's all mine. (laughs) What? No, stop it. This is so fun. See, God wants you to act differently after church. He wants you to have different attributes. He wants you to have different attitudes and a different aroma. He wants you to be like Jesus. This is so cool. This is, why, this, is why, this is why we do what we do. It makes it beneficial and profitable for us because we become beneficial and profitable to others. Isn't this awesome? He came to John specifically. Write it down and then give it away. This will change your devotions in the morning. It'll change your scripture memorization. I'm gonna give you guys an embarrassing story. When my wife and I were first married, uh, first year of marriage, I remember I was early, early in the morning doing my morning devotionals. I was reading the Bible and my heart's desire was to be a better person, to be a Christian, to do this, to just grow. And my wife was sick. She had a cold of some sort. And so she was in the back room and she kept coughing. <coughs> you know, in the back room, I was reading. Every time she'd cough, it'd interrupt me and my, my thoughts and meditations. And I remember getting really mad about it. Okay, first year of marriage. And I was like, I was like Lord, would you just quiet her down? so I can be the spiritual giant that I'm trying to become. <laughs> Literally, that's my, that was my prayer. And the Lord swiftly rebuked me. He said, put your Bible down and go be spiritual to your wife. Go minister to her, help her out, give her some water, do something, be kind. And I, I got a twist. I was like, I want to read because I'm not spiritual until I read. And he's like, you're not spiritual if you don't serve your wife. Why would we do what we do? Why do we study? Why do we pray? Why do we worship? Why do we take communion? Why do we do this regularly? Because like we learned last week when Pastor Marty taught, we're re-transforming our mind and our thought patterns, our lives. So that way when somebody laughs at you at the restaurant, you don't react in the flesh, but instead you, you love and you generously respond. He says to John, write down and give it away. Verses 12 through 20 is too long to teach in one minute. Man, oh man. And so here's what I want you guys to do. I want you guys in your small groups this week or in your life groups or with your wife or with your husband or with your best friend or just, just you and the Lord to read verses 12 through 19 and see what John saw. He saw the Lord in the midst of the churches. Let me just say it so you think about it. And I'm gonna have Pastor Ryan come up and lead us in a song where we are at a time. When John saw Jesus, he actually didn't see Jesus first. 
he turned. He heard the voice and he turned. You guys you see the order here. And he saw lampstands. Jesus goes on to explain those lampstands. That's the church. Jesus was right in the middle of the church. He's there. He's right here. And Jesus is in the lampstands. They're golden, which speaks of purity and value. We'll, we'll talk about this in depth next week. But I just want you guys, I want us to be sobered a little bit today in, in our role in today's world. If you're the church, okay, Jesus is amongst us. That's his job. He's doing a great job. Your job is to be that pure candlestick, to be that shining light in the world. He's given to us angels and helpers. He's given us his revelation. All this stuff's here. Wouldn't it be awesome if this week, beginning in your smallest circles, in your marriages, you took it seriously and said, Lord, I want to be a servant. Jesus, thank you for the revelation that you've given to me that I see you as you are. And that even in my tribulation, you're right here with me, even though I'm suffering for you. And through my tribulation, you're actually speaking to me. And now I want to take what you've given to me. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bless the people around me. I want to be that light. If you don't do this, if you just choose to live your own small, silly, selfish, sinful ways, the Lord's grace is sufficient for you, but he would, he would remind you even at the table, guys, time is short. Live with urgency, with a difference. Live with a purpose. So with every eye closed and every head bowed, we're gonna do what we do every Sunday, which is take communion. I don't want this to become routine or religious for you. I want you as a believer to bring Jesus closer to you through the body and blood celebrated. Into your marriage, into your job, into your own walk that you would examine yourself and plead the blood once again and celebrate that what he's done is enough for you. And what Jesus has done is sufficient to allow you to bear fruit even where you're at. So Lord, as we come to the table and celebrate, would you anoint us and bless us to be those men and women, young and old husbands and wives, moms and dads, aunts and uncles, brothers and sisters. Would you anoint us, Lord, to be the the candlesticks, the light of the world, the salt out of the shaker. We love you, God, for what you've done. We now celebrate and come to the table and remind ourselves of your death, burial, and resurrection, proclaiming your return until you come again. We do what we do now in Jesus' name.